Once again, good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 23. This is a sneak preview. We're heading into the book of Ephesians. We'll be studying this for a number of months. And so this will be a sneak preview this morning as we wrap up this teaching series, The God You Long For. The God You Long For is powerful. You guys like this time of the year? Anybody? I love it. The nights are cool, the days are warm, and it won't be long. The nights will be hot, and the days will be hotter. How many like that time of the year? That's why you live here. There's four of us right here. No, I love it. It's good. Good time of the year. Great to have you with us. Great weekend coming up, but we've got a awesome study here this morning. As we've stated throughout this teaching series, and as we wrap up this teaching series this morning, here's the thesis statement. All of our problems are theological ones stemming from not knowing who God is or at the moment forgetting who He is. Think about your problems. All of your problems are rooted in the fact that you either don't know God or at the moment you have forgotten who God is. Always. Always about that, and that's why we've been doing this study of theology. Here's another way we put this thesis statement. It goes like this, that great theology, theology, study of God, great theology leads to healthy psychology, which will produce in you soul-satisfying doxology. Doxology means worship. So the more you begin to understand who God is and how much He loves you, and thinks about you, and cares about you, it begins to give you, begins to fill your life up with, once again, this is that healthy psychology that you are accepted, you are significant, you are secure in Him, and the natural response to that would be to live your life in praise and honor to God, to put Him on display. Now, as we stated the last couple weeks, we are wrapping up this teaching series by looking at three specific attributes that you need to know if you're going to endure the difficulties of life. See if the person next to you knows what these, one of, at least one of these three attributes are. What are the three attributes that are really a necessity for you to understand if you're going to endure the difficulties or the hardship of life? Real quick, turn to the person next to you. See if they know. What are the three attributes? You hear me say it all the time. I usually couple them together. I say that you need to trust God's loving, wise control. So if you answered with any one of those three, you were on, on track for the most part. How many got that? There was not very many of us. We're going to start this teaching series all over again. Starting, We're just going to keep doing it until you get it. God's loving, wise control. So we were finishing up this teaching series on those three attributes. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that we understand His perfect love? Because in His perfect love, He desires what is best for you. In His infinite wisdom, He knows what is best for you. In His unlimited power, He will do what is best for you. That's hard. I mean, do you believe that in the midst of hardship? If you do believe that, then you're going to be able to navigate through hardship. And in fact, you will have peace that will guard your heart and mind. And that peace is confidence in God's loving, wise control of your life. If you don't have peace, how many would say, hey, I'd like to have some peace, peace of mind in the midst of chaos and all kinds of problems? Yeah, so that comes as a result of confidence in God's loving, wise control. See, if you don't believe that he's perfect in love, you're going to experience your life will be dominated by anxiety, worry, and fear. 
if you don't really understand more clearly his infinite wisdom as it relates to the circumstances of life, circumstances are going to get you angry, you're going to become bitter, and maybe even become resentful. If you don't understand his unlimited power, the tendency is to feel helpless, hopeless, and in despair. But there is a peace that you can experience, and it comes as a result of confidence in God's loving, wise control. So we end our teaching series by talking about God's power this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. I can't help but think that there's probably many here this morning, like myself, that are desperate for God's power to, to continue to work in your life. Show of hands. How many are like that? Yep. So whatever you're facing, I'm going to pray that God will give you the power that you need as we study his word this morning. Let's pray. Father God, with you all things are possible. I want you to think about that just for a minute. With God, all things are possible. What are you facing? What are your difficulties? God, as we reflect on your immeasurably great power for us who believe, as the text that we're about to read says... Help us to give up our small ambitions and repent of our low expectations. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see that there is no hurt that can't be healed. There's no addiction that can't be broken. There's no problem that can't be overcome. As it says in Romans 8.11, If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will make alive your mortal bodies. So we pray, God, make alive our bodies, our lives in you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at the text, wonderful text. I'm going to read through it. Try not to comment too much. I can't help but want to say a few things because this is powerful stuff. God is speaking to us through this book. This is the very voice of God speaking to us this morning. I begin reading Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Stop right there. Everybody look up here. Okay, I I stopped pretty quick on that one. But I just wanted to say something about this inheritance that we have. Notice it says in him. That means in Jesus Christ. All that Jesus Christ has done for you, the personal work of Jesus Christ, you have an amazing inheritance. And listen to me. You heard it right here. $640 million is a joke in comparison to the inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ. And the more you understand that, the more you'll live in the reality of that. That's what he's saying. He says, has been predestined. Notice he says, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is in control. Jesus is in control. He will work everything out for your good and his glory. The things that you look, you know, throughout, when you look on the, uh, the landscape of, of your circumstances and the things and the people in your life, sometimes they, think they seem random, out of control. They're not. He's in control. That's what he's saying. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What is praise anyway? Everybody praises. We praise the things that we prize. And in fact, praise is evidence It's not only evidence, but it's the consummation, it's the completion of our enjoyment in something. All he's saying is that you're going to find so much joy in God that you're going to put his glory on display through your praise of him as you live more and more in the reality of all of that inheritance 
in him, notice it keeps saying that, in him. So this, this stuff all comes to us through Jesus. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, when someone sets you down and talked to you about what Jesus did for you, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, and as you put your faith in him, belief is more than just a kind of a mental assent, more than just an agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart. That that begins to stir up an appetite within you for God. Notice what it says. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you put your faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. That is amazing. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the full possession of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. There you have it again. To the praise of his glory. Oh my goodness. It's just like, oh, God is great. God is good. It just overflows your life. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. By the way, if you have faith in Jesus, you're going to love people. That's what it says. It's, that's the progression of it. Faith in Jesus, you're going to love people. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory. Some translations, actually the NIV says the glorious Father. I love that. It's a great way to refer to God, the glorious Father. Glory means weight, significant, important. It's that sense of wow and that mmm of how good, how great and good he is. That the glorious Father may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray this regularly for us as a church family. That God would give us a spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is to see and respond to life from God's perspective. Revelation is, if, you ha if I had a statue up here and I pulled the, the sheet off of it, it would be kind of a revelation of this statue, that you'd have greater revelation of what? Knowledge of God, that you wouldn't just know about God, but you would experience God. That God would not be a concept, but he's a reality. He's a greater reality to your life than anything that you're facing. That's what he's praying. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that's part of it, that you may know what is the hope. The hope, when it talks about hope, it's not I hope so. It's I know so. That's a confident, uh, joyful expectation. That's actually one part of you. You're filling the blank there on your notes. Not the first one, but later on as you work down the notes. But what is the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious, now he calls it glorious inheritance in the saints. Now here's the key verse right here. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward who? Us who believe. Uh, the word immeasurable, uh, the, the kind of the root word is hyper. You cannot measure God's power. It's hyper, it goes beyond that. Great, mega. And the word power is where we get the, the Greek word is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, hyper mega dynamite of God's power for us who believe according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he, now he goes into this, a little bit of God's power, and it's represented through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, what we're celebrating next weekend, what we celebrated every weekend here at Desert Breeze. But raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also the one to come. What is that saying? He rules. He rules. He's in control. He's sovereign. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Here's where we're headed with this study. So we're talking about God's power. The God you long for is powerful. His power in the past, in the present, and in the future. How it's working in our life. That's the first thing we'll look at. And then we're going to look at his power is working in us when. How do we know his power is working in us? And then we'll finish by uh, talking about how I can experience more of his power. First of all, his power. Verse 19, keep your Bibles open. Verse 19, most commentators point out that Paul is being grammatically excessive when he says immeasurably or immeasurable greatness of his power. What is he saying that? Why would he do that? This is what he's saying. He's wanting to get across to us that there is no trauma that you can experience, no trial, no temptation that will ever exceed God's power that is working for those who believe in him. What are you facing? What are you up against? His power is greater than that, greater than cancer, greater than calamity, greater than chaos, greater than anything you will ever face. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to us. He's wanting us to get that, but he's not, he's not wanting it just to be a concept. He's wanting it to be a reality. It moves us. It stirs us. We begin to respond to life based on the reality of that that has gone deep into our heart. Now, let's, let me give you the full, first fill in the blank. So his power, let's look in the past, in the past enabled me to believe How do I know that God's kind of working in my life? His power has enabled me to believe. This means justification free from the penalty of sin. Let me just talk about that. So the moment you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, you are justified. You stand before God completely righteous in right relationship with God. All is well between you and God. And this is what it means also. He sets you free from the penalty of sin. That all your sins, and you know you've got a lot of sins. And so do I. I look at some of you, and man, you guys really have a lot of sins. And some of you, uh, yeah, you have a lot too. Okay. Everybody has a lot of sins. The Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So that puts us all in the same category. Okay? But here's what's the cool thing. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the debt is canceled, paid in full. He will never, ever hold my sin, past, present, and future, ever against me. Isn't that amazing? Woo! Praise God for that. There's amazing freedom. Now, why do we live in guilt and shame oftentimes? Because of the things that we've done. Because we don't believe that. We don't understand that. We're not living in the reality of that. But he, he sets us free. That's part of that. Look at verse 19. He says, toward us who believe. Now, there's not actually a comma after believe in the Greek. So that was just put there by the English people us English people to try to make sense of it. But actually, there's no comma, so you could actually, it needs to read completely on. Toward us who believe according to the working of his might. In other words, our ability to believe is based on his might. It's according to his work. And so, I mean, and that's, that's consistent with Scripture. So your ability to even believe is based on the working of his might. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourself. So it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Colossians 2.13 actually says, you were dead. You needed a resurrection. And so you need to be brought alive. And that's what it says there. Romans 5.1 talks about our being justified by faith, peace with God. 8.1 says that there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 
And then the 33, basically saying the same thing, that nobody can hold anything against us because God, God has set us free from the penalty of sin. So here's the point, next point. If I want him, it's because he first wanted me. Do you want him? Boy, you know it. Guess what? He wanted you first. The very fact that you want him is because he wants you. Yeah, but I really want him. He really, really wants you. He wants you more than you want him. And the fact that you would want him is because he first wanted you. Now, that's pretty amazing when you really begin to understand that. When you understand, and that was part of his work. Romans 3.11 says that nobody seeks God. It actually says no one seeks God. We don't actually seek God on our own. Now, you might say, well, I know people who are seeking God. Well, certainly people seek God for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes people seek God for the wrong reasons. How do you know whether someone's actually seeking God for the wrong reason? It's because when they, when they think they've got God and they begin to seek him, they continue to seek him, and when God doesn't do what they think that they think God should do for them, then they fire God. You're fired. And oftentimes people will say it like this, I lost my faith. Well, it would be questionable whether or not you actually had faith because you were seeking God for not God, you were seeking, seeking God for you. You were there to use God. You didn't come to get, get God as much as you wanted to get from God. So certainly people seek God for a lot of different reasons and they seek God for the wrong reasons. And that would be a wrong reason. But, but to seek him to, because you want him more than you want anything from him is the right reason. And eventually if you don't move to that place in your life, you're really probably pursuing him for the wrong reason. But man, when you begin to understand this, if I want him, it's because he first wanted me. That does something to your heart. That draws your heart in. In fact, John six forty four, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That word draw means to draw or drag by inward power. So the very fact that you would have any kind of inclination towards God, a heart towards God, a desire for God. When, we've, when we teach here on Sunday morning, and, or maybe you're in a Bible study group, and all of a sudden there's something that's stirred up, a passion, a desire, a longing, and you begin to realize as you begin to look to God, God, you're the only one that can satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. Why is that? Because he wants you. He's drawing you. That's a work of God. That's, that's his power working in you. Listen, some of you are here today, not by happenstance. God has brought you here to hear what I'm telling you right now. He loves you. He is pursuing you. He's drawing you. God's working in your life. Here's the next point in your notes. Not to see this robs God of glory and me of joy. I mean, the fact that he longs for me, that he loves me, that he desires me, that he pursues me, that's amazing. The God of creation... I mean, listen to this. If, if you understood what he thinks about you and how he feels about you, that's what we've been talking throughout this whole series. And what he wants to do in your life, you would be running to him, not away from him. Most people that are running from him are running from a false, this false idea of God, this false concept of God. So not to see this robs God of glory and me of joy. There's something, I mean, it begins to change the way you look at your life. You begin to realize that a lot of the circumstances in your life were orchestrated by God so that you would have this rendezvous with him, so that you would encounter him, so that you would know him. And God worked that in such a way to bring you to this point to where you would put your faith in him and experience him and know him. 
So in the past enabled me to believe justification free from the penalty of sin. Here's the next one. In the present enables me to behave. This is sanctification free me from the power of sin. So this is how he's working presently in our lives if we've put our faith in Jesus. How many of you ever noticed that there's this gap between how we believe and how we oftentimes behave? Would you guys agree with that? You guys struggle with that sometimes? That I tell everybody, yes, I'm, I'm trusting in God's loving, wise control, and then, you know, something happens in my life, circumstances go haywire, and I'm freaking out. It's like, woo! And of course, my wife's always there to go, hey, loving, wise control, God's in control. Yeah, I know that, but what am I going to do? And my behavior would say something contrary to what I believe. So what it's called, it's called the gospel gap. There's this gap between my spirituality and my reality. And so this is what, what God is doing in our lives. He's in the present enabling me to behave in a manner that is consistent with how I believe. If I really believe that he has a perfect love for me, He's infinite in wisdom and unlimited in power. He's orchestrating my life and working in my life so that when the circumstances will ultimately bring about my good and his glory, I can rest. I can have confidence in his loving, wise control, which will produce in me peace. And to the degree that I have that confidence in his loving, wise control, I will have peace in negative circumstances. It goes back to what we said at the very beginning about this whole teaching series. That all of our problems are rooted in either not knowing God or at the moment forgetting who God is. Because we've at that moment got to narrow the gap between what we say we believe and how we behave. By the way, don't beat yourself up over that when you find yourself freaking out or doing something that would be totally contrary to how you actually believe. Use that as an opportunity to begin to drive deeper those truths that you so desperately need in your heart. And this is what I often, uh, in fact, we'll go through some of these verses, but it's a great opportunity to begin to apply to your heart truth about God specific to where your heart is most restless. So what you need to do is ask yourself, why am I so stressed out right now? What's going on? My finances are going south. Don't you believe that God is Jehovah Jireh, your provider? Don't you understand? That's the compound Hebrew name for God in the Old Testament. So the more you begin to understand that and you embrace that and you apply it specific to where your heart is most restless, and right now I'm kind of freaking out over here, that's why you need to be in touch with where you're most restless. Where are you most stressed out? What's going on in your life? How are you responding? Have you looked at your life and how did you respond to that relational breakdown here this last week? Did you find yourself yelling and screaming? Well, that was kind of inconsistent with someone who believes in Jesus and, and what he wants to do in our life. Yeah, so don't beat yourself up. He forgives you, he loves you, but he wants to work in your life and bring transformation. That's where his power can begin to work supernaturally in your life. Notice what he says in verses 13 and 14, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit living within us who is the guarantee, the first installment of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, until God redeems us to the praise of his glory. Verse 12 We might be to the praise of his glory. What is he saying? He said that a couple different times. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. That everything that we do and say would be to the praise of his glory. Even when life is falling in around us. Even when people, things, and circumstances aren't going the way we think they should. We can live our life in such a way that he is our one that we find our deepest satisfaction in. We can put him on display, his glory. That he is more than enough. Regardless of what goes down in our lives. That's the gap that can be bridged in our lives. Verse 18, that you may know the hope 
to which he has called you. And then I gave you a number of verses there. Philippians 1.6, he says, the work that he began in you, he'll carry it on to completion. Hebrews 12.2, it says that Christ is the fixture eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher. Now don't think that you put your faith in Jesus and then now it's up to you to kind of get it right. It's not. You continue to walk with your faith in Jesus. He's the author and the finisher. You can't do this on your own. You can't bridge the gap. You've got to totally, completely depend upon him. That's the Christian life. By the way, the more, the less self-reliant and independent you are, the more reliant and dependent upon him, the more you're going to experience his power. The more you cling to him and see how desperate you are for him, the more you'll experience his power in your life. Philippians 2.12, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for. These are people that are Christians. So they're wanting to bridge the gap between, you know, that gospel gap between what they believe and how they behave. And, and so they need to do it with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work. To will means he gives you the desire and then he also gives you the ability according to his good pleasure. Let me give you the next couple fill in the blanks. Eternal life is not just a quantity but also a quality of life. So what we're talking about here, this this, uh, his power in the present enables me to behave in a manner that's consistent with how I believe, sanctification. He's setting me free from the power of sin, that the, this quantity of life, we all want to know that when we die, we go to be with the Lord. That's cool, right on. But eternal life actually begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus, and it's more than just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. A quality of life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came you might have life and have it to what? To the fullest, to the fullest, fullness of life. A quality of life, a quality of life that there's no amount of money, there's no great romance, there's no big home on the mountain that can even touch. I had someone, uh, I saw a tweet here yesterday after the big, uh, the big drawing of the 640. I guess there was three folks that won it, but this guy said, it was Darren Patrick, he tweeted, he said, Dear person who won the lottery, you still can't afford to buy what you really want. It's true. It's true. All the money in the world cannot buy what our hearts long for, and that's God. But he gives himself to us by grace, unmerited favor. Isn't that amazing? You have everything you need in him. That's, that's what we need to understand. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So regardless of what goes down in your life, people, things, and circumstances, you can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want that in my life. I want to be able to put on display His glory and His beauty and all that He is. Here's the next point. This is a big point, this next one. I mean, all of them are big, okay? But this is, this is important too. This also involves, so this quality of life also involves confident, joyful expectation. That's what we were talking about, hope. That's what hope is. Confident, joyful expectation that the bad things will work out for my good. We see that in verses 11 through 12. The truly good things can never be taken from me and the best is yet to come. So when we talk about hope, this is what we're talking about. So this is what should go through your mind. As you're facing negative circumstances, this is the power of God working in our life. First of all, there's a quality of life, and I need to ask myself, am I living that quality of life regardless of the people, things, and circumstances in my life? You can. There is love, joy, peace, patience available to you because you have the Holy Spirit that indwells you regardless of what goes down. But here's the confident, joyful expectation that we have. Bad things will work out for my good. Okay? 
That's part of that. By the way, if you study Romans 8, I gave you some cross-references here, but all you need to do is look at Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. We'll basically give you those three right there. 28, 29, and 30. 28, for we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. 29 talks about what can't be taken from us, what cannot be taken from us. What's the truly good or really great that cannot be taken from us? Anybody? It's God. It's Christ. It's our, it's our inheritance in him. It cannot be touched. And then the last one is that the best is yet to come. So here's how we should be living our life. Around the Davis home on Christmas Eve, I remember the, the emotion that I had because my parents would only let us kids open up one gift that was really mean of them. Okay, it wasn't that mean because we had that sense of anticipation. I could not go to sleep the night before because we were so excited because we knew that we would be tearing into these gifts and there would be a lot of gifts and there would be some really great things and that's really how we should live our life with almost a sense of joyful anticipation. Like I said here, it's this confident, joyful expectation because the word hope in the Bible is not what we think of it. I hope so. (gasps) That's not Bible hope. Bible hope is confident, joyful expectation. Are you kidding? I'm God's kid. He loves me. He gave his life for me. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Christ. I'm a member of the family of God. Oh my goodness. What more do I need? He's working everything for my good. The best cannot be taken from me. And the best is yet to come. That's the reality. We can live in that. That's the hope that we have. Like a kid on Christmas Eve, can't hardly go to sleep. God, what are you going to do with this mess right now? I mean, this is quite a mess in my life, but I know you're going to do something great. And I know you're going to put yourself on display, and I can't hardly wait. See, that's that that sense of that attitude. Listen to what uh, C.S. Lewis says. This is a great quote from him, and this is kind of our segue as we kind of head into the next uh, point. But he says, if we let him... He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us. He will make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale. His own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. He's working in our life, and therefore, as I prayed, give up. Give up your small ambitions. Repent of your low expectations. There is no hurt that can't be healed. There is no addiction that can't be broken. There's no problem that can't be, can't be overcome. What are you facing? What are you struggling with? His power, his power, as it says here, it's immeasurably great power for us who believe. There's a story, and it's, it's kind of a tragic story, actually, Genesis 25 and Esau. Esau sold his birthright, his inheritance, which is pretty fabulous. It's a parallel to the inheritance that we have. In God. But he sold his birthright. Anybody remember what he sold it for? Yeah. Just porridge. You know, cereal. You know, just something that was just. He sold his birthright for bread and a bowl of lentil stew. So here's my question for you 
What are you settling for? What are you settling for? With infinite and eternal joy awaiting you in Jesus Christ. What are you settling for? Oftentimes we we settle for so much less when God has this amazing life. So his power in the past enables me to believe, in the present enables me to behave. Here's the last one. In the future will enable you to become, become anything and everything you've ever wanted. Glorification free from the presence of sin. We see that in the word redemption, verse 14. We see it also in verses 20 through 23. We have an example of that through Jesus' resurrection from the grave. Here's your next fill in the blank. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's Philippians 1.21. I mean, how would you fill in the blank? To live is more money? To win is live to win the lottery? To win is to graduate from college or get to the degree or high school or whatever. To live is what? He's saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, listen to this. John eight fifty one says this, if anyone keeps my word, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's an incomprehensible truth about the moment of death. Never see death. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not going to die. Your body dies, but immediately you are translated from this place into the very presence of God. The Bible makes it very clear. You will not die. To live is Christ. To die is gain. The last funeral that I, I did was for Mary uh, Durier. And I, I, I said, Mary is not here. She is with the Lord. The moment she took her last breath here, she took her first breath in heaven with the one who would rather die than to live without her. I mean, can you imagine what she went through, what she experienced at that moment? She did not die She is alive to this very day in the very presence of God. That is the hope that we have. That's what he's talking about here. And it's his power that accomplishes that. That's what he talks about in verses 20 through 23. Because he was resurrected. It's what we're celebrating next weekend. Because he lives, we will live. We will never die. That's what he's saying. It also tells us that. And if you want to look up another verse, John 11, 25 through 26, he says that. You will not die. I'm the resurrection and life. You will never die. That's amazing. As I, that, that hit me this last week really strong. I was just like, oh, that is so cool. I love it. So here's the next point. Death, crying, and pain will be no more. One of these days, for those of us that put our faith in Jesus, death, crying, and pain will be no more. I like what Billy Graham's grandson says, Tolian Chevichian. That's his grandson's. He said this, heaven is not our reason for loving God, heaven is our reward for God loving us. <laughs> I love it. Here's another great quote, one of my kind of favorite quotes, that when we take our last breath on earth, first breath in heaven, this is what we will experience 
This is actually uh, from Dostoevsky. And he says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. What an amazing quote. That's the reality of heaven for us who have put our faith in Jesus. So, next question his power working in me. How do I know that his power is working in me? Turn to the person next to you and just ask him that question real quick. Let's just see. How do you know that God's power is actually working in you? Kind of went through it in those first three, past, present, and future. But how do I know right now that God's, God's power is working in me? Real quick. How many, when you guys fill out the blanks, you try to anticipate what I'm about to say on the next blank? Anybody do that? Just play the game there. Anybody get this next one? Here's the answer that I've got. This is what I was thinking about. I have no fear. Anybody get that? I have no fear of the darkness inside of me or outside of me or ahead of me. Where did I get that? I got that from verse 18 in our text. He says that the eyes of your heart... I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. The word enlightened is the Greek. It means to give light or bring light. So it speaks of this illumination. John 8, 12, it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Darkness speaks of, uh, of depression and despair and anxiety and anger and all these things that work in our lives oftentimes inordinately. Jesus said in 1246, I, Jesus, have come into this world as light. Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness so that we would not remain in darkness. And so that's what we're talking about here. So let's go back. So I have no fear. So I know that his power is working in me. I have no fear of the darkness inside of me. Man, you don't know how long I struggle with things in my life. I struggled with uh, perfectionism and and workaholism and feeling so much that my identity was all wrapped up in what people said about me. And, it's, and within the last five years or so, God has begun to really set me free. The more I have fixed my eyes upon Jesus and I begin to see that my identity is in him and in the cross, the more he has brought freedom to my life over these things. I thought I would never get over these things. I was such a driven guy. I was so concerned about what people thought about me. I was, and I still do. I kind of fall prey to that. I can easily go into that, but not near as bad as I used to. Thank God for his grace. I don't fear that in my life anymore because I know that his power, his immeasurably great power working for those who believe is in me, helping me to overcome those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups that I struggle with. He'll help you too. You don't have to fear those things. 
You can conquer those things in your life. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. That's what, we're, that's what we have here. So I have no fear of the darkness inside of me or outside of me. Oh, my goodness, how I have struggled in my life. I looked at circumstances. I thought, oh, boy, did I really screw that up? Oh, my goodness, how could you? I don't have to fear that. Whether it be a loss of job or home or health or marriage, I can trust his loving, wise control. I don't have to fear that somehow I, I really screwed it up and God can't, how could he ever make good out of this? Are you kidding? You're dealing with the creator, the one who loves you. He will work that bad, wicked evil for your good and his glory. Let him do that. Allow that to chase away the fear of that which is outside of you. And then ahead of me, you don't need to fear death. Most of us don't think much about death, but man, when, when it begins to stare us in the face, we get that diagnosis or we have someone that's close to us that, that we have to bury, then we start thinking more about it. You don't have to fear death. See, you know his power is working in you when you have no fear of darkness inside, outside, or ahead of you. Any dark power that you meet in life The world, the flesh, our sinful nature, the devil is a small thing in comparison to God's infinite, eternal power working in you. I tweeted this about a week or so ago, and it really stood out to me. It was just a, it was a thought that that as I was kind of reflecting, studying, and it goes like this. You can have a relationship with God through Christ like the stars of the sky that get brighter and brighter as the sky gets darker and darker. Bring on darkness. It doesn't matter. We can be like the stars of the sky that get brighter and brighter because we have the power of God in us. You have the power of God in you and in your life. So how can I experience more of his power? We're going to have you all come up to the front. You're going to click your heels three times and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. I'll wave a magic wand over you and then you will come out of here going, whoa! Um, it, that's not that doesn't that's not funny pastor ray because, <laughs> because i know that some of you like me are desperate for god's power working in your life we need him we are desperate by the way that's the that's the answer that's the answer are you desperate are you in touch with your own failure in your past or your present or man you're frightened by the future guess what you're a candidate for his power Paul prays in in the 12th chapter. He says, he cried out three times, take this thorn from my flesh. And what did God say to him? 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You want to experience God's power? Recognize your weakness. You are weak. We hide our weakness. You know, we mask our weakness. You know, we, we pretend we're not weak. You're weak. And the more you come in t- touch with that, the more you will experience his power in your life. And, and obviously, it's going to be seen through prayer and meditation. That's what this is. This is a prayer. He's praying this. And he's praying. And he's almost kind of walking through it kind of in a, in a meditative form. When he uses these words, as he works through this, he's kind of reflecting that he works. He's talking about this power. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? Resurrection power. That dwells within me. So it's almost kind of this. He's meditating. He's reflecting. He's praying. He's saying, God, I want to experience that power. And as he's reflecting, and that truth is being lit up in his heart. He's beginning to experience more and more of his power. So it's through prayer and meditation. 
on his sacrificial love, the cross for me. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the word of the cross, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The more you begin to realize what he did for you on the cross, the more it will infuse you with power. Self-reliance and independence is a sure way to miss the presence of our Savior empowering, satisfying, and guiding our lives. In a minute, the band's going to come up here, and we're going to finish up this series, this, this whole series by singing a song. It's a great song. I love this song, that my soul longs for you. And I've been meditating on Psalm 63 because that's what it's based on. And in Psalm 63, the writer is saying, hey, there's nothing in, on this planet that satisfies me like you. Nothing. So my soul, my soul longs for you. And then a little bit later on he goes, my soul is satisfied in you. And then he ends the psalm by saying, my soul clings to you. You want to experience his power? Have your soul cling to him and you'll experience his amazing power. And this is what I've, uh, well, let me just share with you this one last thing and then I've got a story and then we're going to sing this song. Is that the power of sin's promise? How how do you overcome the sins in your life that seem so powerful? Nobody sins out of out of uh, duty that they feel you know uh, they we sin because we think it offers a promise of happiness. Would you agree with that? Everybody sins. We sin because we think it's going to make us happy. The power of sin's promise and allurement. Listen to me. Is always always broken by the power of God's promise and allurement, that his promise and allurement is sweeter and more satisfying. And so the more you begin to see that, the more you long for him and you recognize that there's nothing on this planet Earth that can satisfy you, that's when you begin to experience this power that can begin to say no to the trials and the temptations that would drag you away from him. There's an interesting story here that I wanted to share. It's a quick one. The acclaimed foreign film Three Seasons is a series of vignettes about life in post-Vietnam. One of the stories is about a high, H-A-I, a cyclo driver, high is his name, a bicycle rickshaw, and a lawn, L-A-N, a beautiful prostitute, lawn is a beautiful prostitute, both have deep, unfulfilled desires. High is in love with lawn, but she is out of his price range. Lon lives in grinding poverty and longs to live in the beautiful world of the elegant motels or hotels where she works, but in which she never spends the night. She hopes that the money she makes by prostitution will be her means of escape, but instead the world brutalizes and enslaves her then High enters a cyclo race and wins the top prize. And with the money, he brings Lon to the hotel. He pays for the night and pays her fee. Then to everyone's shock, he tells her he just wants to watch her fall asleep. Instead of using the power of his wealth to have sex with her, he spends it to purchase a place for her for one night in the normal world to fulfill her desire to belong Lon finds such grace deeply troubling at first, thinking High has done this to control her. When it becomes apparent that he is using his power to serve rather than to use her, it begins to transform her, making it impossible to return to a life of prostitution. Look at your last point on your notes. There is no greater power and love 
than to give up power to love someone. He, Jesus, gave up his power because of his love for you so that you could be filled with his power and love. When you begin to reflect on that and meditate on that, it transforms your life. You don't want to go back to the old life. You want the life that only he can give. Your soul longs for him. Stand with us as we sing this song. Make this the cry of your heart, and you will experience his amazing power. Yeah, that's good stuff. Woo! Praise God. Psalm 63.3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. We don't follow him because he makes life better. We follow him because he is better than life. So go with that today, celebrating his goodness. See you next week. God bless you.